Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Agronomist. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, and this evening is going to be a gooder. I can already tell. Uh, producer Kara is joining us, and she promises absolutely no teacup rides. So uh, we'll see how that pans out. Um, I see Ray DeBanco is there, so he shall hold our feet to the fire on that one. Okay, before we get going with tonight's show, I do, of course, want to remind everybody, if you collect those CEU credits, head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist tomorrow morning, and we'll have the episode there. Uh, and you can let us know that you watched and collect those up. And the show, of course, brought to you by our sponsors, Adama Canada. Wheat Pete's word and the wheat school. And I have a read. Hang on a moment. There we go. All right. Adama Canada. <laughs> While other sources of innovation run dry, Adama is here to deliver, leveraging the world's largest library of actives to provide innovative crop protection solutions to your greatest challenges. We're all in on you. Talk to your Adama sales rep today. All right. The comments are already coming in fast and furious, which is fantastic because we only have an hour and an hour hardly seems enough especially with my two guests bringing them in it is mr peter wheat pete johnson and monica Kloss of ducks unlimited based at claire's home but apparently she has ducked out see what i did there okay anyway <laughs> so we'll wait oh. for monica to rejoin is she kara you just maybe let us know when she's hopping back on. Um, and Pete, how are you doing? I'm awesome. Thanks, Lindy. How could you be anything else? We're going to talk about wheat. It's the real crop. We're finally on something that matters. Dang it. She's going to be a good evening. I, I got to tell you, everyone out there, Pete has been bugging me for a long time to get this episode going. So there you go. Um, so here you are, Pete. Now, yay, Monica, you're here. Okay, just quickly, Pete, you need to show off your shirt before before we get rolling on the grow great wheat my friends there you go okay monica can you hear us okay maybe oh there we go monica's having some issues yes i can oh okay there we go we just we've got a bit of a delay in the picture that's okay as long as you can hear us monica you're you're based near claire's home what does the crop look like where you are right now? So right now the crops are just in that early harvest stage. So because of our cool spraying, the silage came off a little bit later than normal. Uh, winter wheat has, has started to come off right now and spring crops aren't that far behind. Okay, so we're getting there. Um, I do want to remind everyone, yeah, we are having a few connectivity issues. Anyway, um, but I do want to remind everyone that uh, Monica is in one of those very dry areas of Alberta. And Pete and I were talking about the rainfall Ontario got yesterday and today. Um, and Monica, how long had you said since you'd seen that much rain? Uh, about... <laughs> I don't know, three years. <laughs> I can't like believe you got that much rain in one day, like honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we, I think we Monica's apologize. comment was decades, decades since yeah. she's seen <laughs> it. Yeah. Now so, it started to rain in Ontario. It just keeps raining. It just won't stop. Okay. But Pete, the, the, the wheat crop for the most part is off. 
the soybeans want and need this. So it's okay, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a few things we'd like to get done. It makes it a little tough to spread manure after the wheat crop if you're going to do that. But if from a, a yield perspective, we need the rainfall. So bring it on, baby, With within reason. Up. We don't need five okay. inches at a go, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and we don't need what we had last fall when that exact thing no. happened. Okay, no. Okay, so so tonight we are talking winter wheat. We're going to grow great wheat. We've got a couple key topics that we're going to cover for sure. And uh, Kevin, the Canadian cowman brings up a really good point to let's leap from here. Winter wheat planted as soon as possible behind the corn silage choppers here. Now he's in BC, but Pete, it brings up the question and Monica, I'll go to you next based on area. When is it too early? Can you go in too early with winter wheat? Yeah, and that's it's such a great question. And the answer is, yes, you can. And I see Mr. Tate says he needs rainfall. And so even that, you kind of go, okay, do you put it in the ground in dry soil? And do you have it there when the rain comes so that you don't lose any days? Or is that too high a risk? And it, it depends on a whole lot of factors. But can you plant it too early? The answer is absolutely. But... For most growers, the risk of low yield by planting too early is far less than the risk of low yield by planting too late. And so the, the quintessential example is way back in the, you know, decades ago when I first started and the grower from the Niagara Peninsula, and I'll set this up, Lindsay, the Niagara Peninsula, just brutally tough clay. And he called me on the 13th of September and said, uh, Mr. Johnson, it's September the 13th. Is it too early to plant winter wheat near Niagara Falls? And the new cereal specialist from the Ministry of Agriculture and Food said, oh gosh, September 13th, you know, the Hessian fly-free date is until September 25th or 28th. I think it's too early. I don't think you should seed yet. And on the 15th of September, guess what that grower got? was a wonderful two inch thunderstorm and he called me back again on the 13th of november and he said mr johnson is it too early to plant wheat near oh, niagara no. falls ontario and so <laughs> it, it it just drives home the point that every area is different and every situation is different and if i'm on a heavy clay soil that that two inch thunderstorm just takes you out for maybe the whole season then i'm going to wait like here in ontario we have the the uh, optimum planting date uh, www.gocereals.ca you can go there you can look at the optimum planting date the optimum planting date in niagara area is i believe october the 5th so september the 1st is crazy early but if you see you know big thunderstorms coming and that you've summer followed that ground all year drop your seeding rate a bit go plant the risk of low yield by planting too early is far less than the risk of low yield by planting too late not quite true or not as true on the beautiful silt loams of oxford county where it can rain right. three inches and you can probably go in and plant three or four days later so like there's that balance but i have to choose i will plant too early rather than plant too late Monica, you're going to have to just hop in and tell Wheat when he's wrong, 
tell Wheat Pete when he's wrong because you know, we like to. So, but on this, I I feel you might agree. Yeah, no, so is no, it you too know early? what I I. So I, I think that that is a really good way to frame it up, Pete, insofar as, you know what, if you're looking at risk management, you know, too early is not the worst evil. And from a Western Canadian perspective, you know, we're seeding anywhere from the 15th of August into, you know, again, soil type and area dependent. Um you know, maybe into October in some cases, um, we have to look at our crop insurance deadlines. So here in Alberta, we actually have two different deadlines regarding where you are in the province. So if you're south of Highway 1, you have until the end of September and you can be covered fully by crop insurance. Uh, north of there, it is the 15th of September. So, you know, obviously if you're farming up in the Peace River country, you know, Labor Day is kind of the latest time that you would ever want to see. And, you know, in that window from August 15th until Labor Day. So, but, but really good way to frame that, Pete. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then the, can, Go ahead, can I Pete. add, add into that real quick, Lindsay, of, because of here's course. the other thing that, that I, from a planting date perspective, and I, I actually didn't think this would work, but when we go up to Earlton, so we have a grower who farms land in Perth County. And if you know, Ontario, so that's, you know, quite a warm area. Uh, normally you would not plant wheat there at at least till September 20th, the optimum date, probably about October the 1st or September the 25th, something like that. He's farming in Earlton. So now we're way far north. And the biggest issue at, at, when you we get into those shorter climates is that the canola, the oats never come off in time to plant the winter wheat. Mm -hmm. And so what Ed does is he has his canola growing in 15 inch rows and he plants his winter wheat in between the canola in late June. And he has been getting some of the best winter wheat crops ever up there, better than any of the neighbors. You would say, how can that work? But the canola, it just shades it enough. The wheat establishes under the canola, the leaves fall off the canola as it's coming into ripen, that wheat can take off and grow and it gets planted effectively on time and I don't know that winter wheat up there this year I think was some something north of 110 bushels per acre someone told me it was it was big anyway don't hold me to the number but it was an awesome wheat crop for that that area so twist your brain sideways about how do mm -hmm. we get it in earlier in in some of these situations but that that was a wow moment for me Okay, Monica, I'll go to you on this one in a second, but I just want to point out to everybody in Western Canada, Earlton being super far north, it's actually just east of Manitoba, like the Manitoba growing area. So calm yourself on that northern comment, Pete. Anyway, <laughs> but, um, but okay, so Monica, what do you think of that though? Because this is a concern and we'll talk about stubble or, or you know, the crop following which crop, which one's ideal and what some of the good options are. But what what do you think? Do you think in an area that has a tough time finding a window to put winter wheat in that you could put it in the canola early? That's a really interesting uh, project. I, I'd love to see it tried. 
one of the things that we'd have to make sure we work with is, you know, equipment setup. So I'm thinking that 15 inch row spacing isn't the norm here in Western Canada. So that's, you know, one thing, obviously. Um, and then the other thing, the, you know, what we call the green bridge is so those diseases and insects, especially rust, jumping from the spring into that winter crop. And, and again, not, not to poo poo it or anything, but I, I would love to see somebody try that. I think that that would be uh, super interesting. Yeah, I, I think the Monica. green bridge is I a really good to do it. point. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, Monica, don't worry yeah. about 15 inch rows. You're in 12 inch rows, 12 inch canola, 12 inch wheat in between the 12 inch canola. Bob's your uncle. We're going to do that. <laughs> the green bridge, the green bridge and wheat curl, uh, the, the, pardon me. Uh, yeah. The wheat curl mite and transferring uh, wheat streak mm -hmm. mosaic virus. That would be one of the things that that you kind of go, wow, is that going to happen when it's in the canola crop? Is the wheat curl mite going to find it enough to cause a problem with that? Like, I think there's some concerns, but dang it, I want somebody to try because it's just okay. such a cool, cool concept. We are, put, we are putting it out to the agronomist universe. Somebody get somebody yeah. to try it. Let's, let's try it out and keep us posted. Um, okay, so so Jason's got a question in Alberta. And Pete, this is one, and we did mention Wheat Pete's Word is one of our show sponsors. This is a question that comes in every fall as the season gets later. Now, obviously, the Western Canadian season later, I mean, September 45th happens every once in a while, um, that, you know, as we move into the fall, should we adjust our seeding rates? So Jason wants to know, in Alberta, so Monica, this one's for you first. Do we have some decent seeding rate recommendations based on that date? So should you be increasing or decreasing seeding rates depending on the date? So the the data that I've seen from an Alberta perspective relates to work that Dr. Barris did um, at Ag Food and Agriculture Canada in Lethbridge. Um, and he did a, a three or five year study. I, Sorry, I don't know which one it was, but he looked at um, 200 seeds per square meter versus 400 seeds per square meter. And hands down, the heavier seeding rate, uh, you know, resulted in higher yields. Plus, got you that early season crop competition. So it's kind of, you know, biological weed control before biological weed control was cool, you know, and, and this was done, you know, just to look at yields. And now we have agronomists really interested in these higher seeding rates, it, you know, looking at some of these herbicide tolerant weeds that have cropped up. Um, mm -hmm. So to answer the question, we have no data on seeding rates to the date we just recommend to and and seed heavy okay pete yep so if if jay could pull or pardon me if kara could pull up uh, uh plant 12 i think it is uh sorry plant uh, slide 16 rather my my i'm sorry plant uh 16 if you can there we go yeah that was it there. sorry nope black oh one more breaks the lodged wheat uh, there. Yeah, there we are. That's one early planting. So man, in our part of the world, and I think 
so 400 seeds per meter squared, uh, that's 40 seeds per square foot, if you will. Uh, it's, it's really pushing to the upper end of what we would normally plant. And so one of the things I talked about how much I want to plant early, I want to plant early because I get more tillers per plant. But if I plant early at a high seeding rate, this picture is exactly what you get. And so we get well, I actually, we took the picture out because we just had too many, but I had, I have seen plants with 2 million seeds per acre seeded early and every plant had 14 tillers per plant. So we're talking a final stand of, of man, I'd actually have to do the math on that, but it like, it just was bizarre. 300 heads per square foot or something like that. Just blow your brains out. Well, then the wheat plant starts to compete with each other and the stems reach for sunlight and they stretch and they get thin and, and wobbly and then they fall over. So if you're, if you're on really heavy clay and you never have to worry about lodging because you're growing a really a variety that really stands well, then maybe you don't worry so much about pulling your seeding rate back when you plant early. But again, look at your optimum date and my recommendation is if you're 10 days ahead of your optimum date, you should cut your seeding rate back by 25%. So if you're normally at 1.5 million, you're back to 1.2 million. If you look at the really high yield growers in New Zealand or in the UK, where they, they get a lot of tillers per plant, they're as low as 500,000 seeds per acre. We kind of, you know, our normal is 1.5 million. I'm asking you to pull back to 1.2 or maybe 1 million when we plant super early because I don't want it to lodge. But then the, the real challenge with that is last year we did that. And then we got the October from Hades. We got 14 inches of rainfall because it was so wet that early planted wheat didn't tiller. And now all the, all my clients want to plant more seed because it was too thin. But in 2021, that lower seeding rate was too thick because we got such a great October. And so it really is, you know, trying to manage your soil type, manage your planting date, manage your lodging risk. But in general terms, if you plant early, you pull back the seeding rate. If you plant late, you up the seeding rate. Uh, in fact, a grower on, planted on November the 17th in Ontario last year at up near Waterloo, so short season area, at 2.7 million seeds per acre. And I think he said that we yielded 124 bushels per acre. So seeding rate matters, but you have to adjust it by planting date. Mm -hmm. Now, and of course, the next part is managing that lodging risk, like you mentioned. So Jason Vogt out of Manitoba says, so where do PGRs come in here? Which absolutely. So this is one of those questions. And last year, Peter, I think we talked about this exact point was it didn't seem to matter if you used a PGR or not. Um, Monica, I'm going to start with you and then I'll come back to you, Pete, because there were some interesting observations this year as well. But Monica, we get this question out west a lot a lot of interest in pgrs in managing that lodging risk um how much does a pgr come into play when you're trying to keep that crop standing so very very good question lindsay um there's 
you know, PGRs are, when you look at Western Canadian agriculture versus, you know, what's done, newer crop protection product, really. Um, and the data that I have seen really is environment um, conditional. Uh, what we see in our Western winter wheat varieties is the breeders are selecting for a compact plant and some of our taller, leggier varieties uh, just aren't being chosen by growers because they're saying, okay, this is, you know, I want to harvest this for grain, um, so I'm going to choose a shorter variety. Now, we do have some guys who are looking at a forage crop or a silage crop, and then they, they pick something um, a little bit leggier, but then they're taking it off at silage time. Sometimes they're missing that log lodging. Um, up north, so up in that Westlock Edmonton area on that beautiful black soil, where across the road there was barley that was like laying flat. So winter in Alberta, I think, PGRs aren't really a target. Manitoba, again, when you're getting into that black soil zone, I think it's just something that you have to kind of look at your, your experience, your neighbor's experience, and, and go for shortness being bred into the varieties and stir, you know, sort of the way around that. Now, Pete, that sort of does, it, it plays into last year, of course, in 2021. Um, it seemed like it didn't matter. The PGR, no PGR, everything fell over. This year, what did you see? Yeah, so this year, almost nothing fell over unless you had delayed harvest, except where you had really powerful ground, grew a variety that maybe didn't have really good standability, and the PGRs, I, I should start by saying PGRs are a tool. They are not a silver bullet. And so the best field of wheat that I scouted all year in 2022, a non-lodging year, a high yield variety, not perfect standability, two, count them, two growth regulators. And by harvest, it was still about 60% of that field was lodged. But hog manure in the history, very high management grower, pushing nitrogen rates. We split nitrogen and everything. So plant growth regulators help, but you, you simply can't go, okay, I'm not gonna worry about seeding rate. I'm not gonna worry about my nitrogen timing. I'm just gonna you know put everything I can, just kind of balls to the wall, we're gonna give it, and the, the growth regulator will keep it standing. I'm sorry, it simply will not. And so it really is part of a management package. And there will be years like 2021, we used it and it did, Lindsay, keep the wheat that we used it on standing a little bit longer. But again, that wheat was super thick. We had 120 heads per square foot. Those plants were just competing so much that they, it just wouldn't work. And so, or it worked, but it didn't keep them standing right through till harvest. So it really, it's a great tool. They are great tools. Sometimes in really lodging prone situations, you know, a grower called me, they made a mistake. They put on 300 pounds of nitrogen on a, on a wheat crop by accident. Well, then growth regulators are a big help. 
lodging prone wheat, I think growth regulators are a tool in the toolbox, but I think they're only one of the tools and I don't think we automatically use them. I think we, we use them judiciously because that's the way they're meant to be used. Now we could probably do an entire show just on selection of a variety. So we, we don't have an entire show to do, but I think both of you, I know people would love that. Uh, both of you have hit on exactly some of those factors, of course, that go into choosing that variety. And one of which of course is that standability and, and what kind of, it was a, a great term, Pete, you know, on, on some jacked up powerful soil, some loaded soil. Um, so you've got to be judicious and Monica, you're exactly right. Um, selecting it in the genes is uh, is half the battle, right? So so there you go. Okay, somehow, actually, this is the surprise of no one. We are well into the show, and I haven't gone to a clip yet. So to give everyone a bit of a break, um, although, supplies, you're going to see Wheat Pete again here. So we're, we're going to zip to you because I want to switch gears just a little. You did mention nitrogen. So I do want to talk about nitrogen management on winter wheat so that we have a success. But this particular clip is a very quick one on phosphorus and the importance of seed placed phosphorus. So Kara, if you will, let's go to the first clip. Might be our old. Wheat Pete here with a wheat school for realagriculture.com. You hear me talk lots about phosphorus and how important phosphorus is in the wheat crop. Standing in the long-term phosphorus and potash research trials at Lucan, such a cool story. So in front of me, we have all this great wheat. We broadcast fertilizer this way on that strip. We have a little bit of seed place phosphorus here. It's not a zero strip, and yet you can see where we broadcast nothing. Look at how much poorer this wheat is. And in these research trials, we're finding that even over here, where I have 100 pounds of MAP, so I have a significant amount of phosphorus with the seed over here, here, I have 90 pounds of a 52828, so not as much phosphorus, a little more potash. Wheat needs phosphorus. And much as we do with the seed, we can't quite match where we build that base fertility up. So in that block, we've spread phosphorus and potash this way. The soil test, maybe a six or an eight for phosphorus, a little bit of variability, a 90 to a, an 80, maybe hundreds for potash, not horrendous, but low enough it makes a difference. In these research trials, at least, at the very least, having good base fertility is giving us an additional 10 bushels per acre in wheat yield. And when we go to adding MAP on top of good base fertility, we get three or four bushels. When we come up here and we have poor base fertility and we add that MAP we add a significant amount of phosphorus, we're picking up 15 to 20 bushels. So really big yield gains with that seed place phosphorus, but it just drives home the point how significant phosphorus fertility is in the wheat crop. And you just simply can't grow wheat without phosphorus. The drill, the seeder runs out of map or runs out of phosphorus, you stop seeding. That's just all there is to it. To be a real wheat grower, phosphorus with the seed. and grow great wheat. Okay, so that of course is, that's actually a video from I think 2013, I wanna say, but that is our Wheat School, who is one of tonight's sponsors. So uh, for all of your wheat production questions, you can go back, I think we have 13 seasons of the Wheat School 
on wheatschool.com. So you can head on over there. Thanks, of course, to our Wheat School sponsors, Syngenta Canada, CNM Seeds, and the Alberta Wheat Commission for making the Wheat School possible. All right. So the phosphorus question and and maybe we'll have a, a little discussion on potassium as well uh but but pete we'll start with you phosphorus with the seed are you still as passionate about it almost 10 years later i am the poster child for phosphorus on wheat I have been since 1988, and you can see here, phosphorus is so critical in the early development of wheat. It's interesting, uh, soybeans in the first 30 days of growth only need one pound of phosphorus per acre, only take one pound of phosphorus up per acre. Corn is five pounds, wheat is 15 pounds per acre. It's highly dependent on that fertilizer phosphorus to get it off to a fast early start. And you can see the difference in growth that will follow all the way through to maturity where you have that seed placed phosphorus, you get more uniform crop. So you're able to time your T3 fungicide better for those of us that use T3 fungicides, it will survive the winter better. You get better root development. Phosphorus promotes better root development. It was actually really interesting. Uh, the disease specialist from Montana State was on a podcast with her last Friday, and she said phosphorus actually helps the plant build stronger cell walls in the roots and fight off disease better as well. So she likes it from a disease management standpoint on on root rots and you know earlier harvest. Like there's just so many things and bigger yields. It's all about yield. It's phosphorus, phosphorus, phosphorus. Vitamin P, not just Pilsner in Saskatchewan. Okay, Monica, does the same hold true in the West? Is it phosphorus, phosphorus, phosphorus with the seed? Uh, ab- absolutely, Lindsay. Um, again, we sort of push the 4R nutrient stewardship thing. So number one, starting off with your soil test. Um, and then fertilizing to it. Uh, some of our recommendations regarding broadcasting and topping up in the spring are, you know, maybe a little bit outdated with, you know, the the emission reduction thing happening right now that maybe we need to go with more deep banding and side banding but uh definitely you know phosphorus with the seed that is you know from 2013 it's it's still as applicable now as as ever now um you are in a very dry area i know we've talked very uh briefly about it because of course the west for the most part doesn't put on a lot of potassium are you seeing potassium deficiency through these droughty years So we really haven't, um, you know, and, and, and again, maybe I'm not the best to ask, but uh, we, we really haven't seen it. And, and it is kind of a weird thing. Um, I just think because it's not really as mobile in the soil as, you know, nitrogen, for example, it, it just sort of sticks around and again hopefully people are balancing out their nutrient package so that they're not starving it in any one given year 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, let's switch gears then to nitrogen, because of course, while we may praise vitamin P, we can't grow a crop with without nitrogen. So Pete, well, uh, you get this, this also comes up on the word a lot, right? So we want that crop to establish in the fall. We want, we want a healthy plant, but we don't want them to be huge going into the fall because it's all about winter survivability. And yes, Jim Hale, I see your question and I'm going to get there about winter survivability and hybrid rye. Um, but Pete, when it comes to N, am I putting any N on in the fall? So if you were farming further south or if you were farming in New Zealand or the UK where it stays warmer over the winter and you get crop growth over the winter, then fall nitrogen actually makes sense. But if you're in Western Canada, where Lord help us from the 1st of November till the 1st of maybe May, nothing happens because things are just frozen like a rock. I'm overplaying it a little, but nonetheless, you get the idea. Or if, if you're in, yeah, just a tidbit, in Ontario, where again, nothing really grows from december the 1st till march the 31st or march the 15th well if you put nitrogen on it's just sitting there and the crop doesn't need it it's not picking it up and so what happens is you lose 50 percent of that nitrogen over the winter and if you put phosphorus on use map or dap i prefer map but or mez i don't care but any one of the phosphorus sources brings a little bit of nitrogen to the table and that's really all you need in our colder climates and then you put the big shot on in the spring and i know monica mentioned that you got we you know with the new emissions concerns well we can use nitrification inhibitors and urease inhibitors and we can still broadcast on the surface and protect that that nitrogen so nitrogen in the spring so that we don't lose it or i don't know in western canada maybe you have time to, to do some fall nitrogen but i doubt it when you're trying to plant winter wheat on time so winter wheat doesn't need it in the fall put it on the spring full stop have a nice day have a nice day all right gerard is on shout out to gerard i also no one knows that he's on but shout out to paisley as well hi paisley all right gerard's got a question good question how how much phosphorus is safe in the seed row? Now this always comes up with canola and it's a valid question. So Monica, I'll go to you first. Um, what is the recommendation for phosphorus in the seed row? Oh, you're gonna stump me here. Um, I'm, I honestly don't know. Um, again, we just recommend to go with your soil test and uh put a little bit with your with your seed as per what your soil lab says but probably not all so let's let's clear let's clarify that probably not all um i'm going to guess no. on very low phosphorus. yeah okay pete um i mean it is true monica's exactly right you need to go with and you mentioned that in the video whether you've got low base fertility or high you need to go with what you should be going with. But when it comes to seed safety, um, we do get this question sometimes, is 100 pounds of actual product too much? Is 50 pounds too much? Where are we at? So the nice thing about phosphorus is that most of our phosphorus so sources are very low salt. 
And wheat is different than canola or different than soybeans because the coleoptile comes up and the growing point stays basically down in the ground. And so it's protected by the coleoptile and all those new leaves that are that are wrapped around the growing point. So it's it's much more tolerant of that seed burn than canola or soybeans. So with and and I mean the other thing I got to be careful with soil type row width because we're on seven and a half inch right. rows primarily. If you're on a 15 inch row, if we both put on a hundred pounds a map, the concentration in the row on the 15 inch rows is twice as much as it is on the seven and a half inch rows. So so there's many factors, but gosh, it's very very rare that 100 pounds of map would cause any burn. Here in Ontario, I have lots of growers on heavy clay soil that if they have low soil tests, they'll go up to 200 pounds of map. I wouldn't do that on a sharp sand in Ontario. It is a bit of a moving target. In Western Canada, seedbed utilization. You know, how wide is that boot that you're running on that cursed useless hoe drill that all you guys seem to want to use despite the fact they're, they're big pieces of junk? But if, if you're spreading it out, then you get, you get less salt. So, so there's all those different yeah. factors. Figure it out. But, but man, wheat is pretty tolerant and make sure you use enough. There you go. Gerard says he's going to throw a curveball at you, Pete. 10-inch rows, three-quarter inch point. Yeah. With, a, with a dreaded hoe drill, Gerard, how could you? Monica, what do you think? 10-inch rows, so you need to be a little more cautious, so... but not as. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I have a, a minimum recommendation, which is 20 pounds with the seed. So that's the minimum type of general go with the gut. Um, and then again, if you're in, um, somebody referred to the Palliser Triangle, where maybe your winter survival is iffy, iffy, you know, that might be something where, you know, you might want to top that up in the spring as well. Gerard says it's a paralink. It's okay, Gerard. It's a very nice drill. We know yeah. it's okay. And, and, <laughs> You're gonna actually, have to tour Gerard and apologize. Yeah, no, actually, so so at least the hoe drills have tried to make some some improvements on that technology. The paralink right. is way better, and in in wet conditions with high residue. Disc drills have pro problems with hairpinning. Disc drills are not perfect by any stretch. Gerard, in that situation, I think it does come back to, to your soil test, but I would be very surprised if 50 pounds of product map would cause you an issue. I know you're in a dry area, but on winter wheat, because you plant winter wheat in the fall, when you typically have a little bit more moisture, you're getting some snow over the winter, we often don't see salt injury and, and I, I don't know, I like a minimum of 50 pounds of map or 23 pounds of actual phosphorus right with the seed if I can at all. So I'd be surprised if that's an issue. Three quarter inch point isn't too wide. 10 inch rows though aren't bad either. I, I think you'd get away with that. All right. Now, Kevin, uh, who's on here as Canadian camera points out once again, realizing how different we are here in the Fraser Valley. Uh, compared to the rest of you when talk of applying phosphorus with seed. Now, but Kevin, you have so much manure to use, an incredible warmth, a really big growing season. Like, I just feel like that's he's in a totally different world when we talk about some of these things. He gets six cuts of alfalfa, you guys. Six. Anyway, um, so I'm just throwing that out there that, I don't know, Kevin, do you need any phosphorus at, at all? 
ever? Maybe not. Okay. Um, and he says, what about safe MG, which is KMAG, rate in addition to 150 pounds of map? I knew we were opening a can of worms. Okay. <laughs> Who wants to, Pete, do you want to take a crack at this? Monica, you want to jump in? Uh, in addition yeah. to 150 pounds. Okay, yeah, no. so 150 pounds. <laughs> Monica Bow, no. All right, Pete yeah. likes these. So, he can take this. <laughs> so, so Andy farms on gorgeous, uh, a light clay loam. They call it a clay loam, but it's Perth clay loam. It's beautiful soil. It's mm. highly productive. It holds water really well. 150 pounds a map is no issue in seven and a half inch rows with winter wheat in the fall. I'm not worried about that at all. The K-Mag, it's pretty safe. And so the real question becomes, Andy, I think, you know, the potash isn't really what you need. If you're applying that, the wheat crop doesn't need it. That's just to maintain the soil test. You're after the magnesium. And so how much magnesium do you actually need to apply to get that response? And my sense is that if, if you're running 50 pounds of K-Mag, you're not going to get response to more magnesium than that. And both products are safe, a total of 200 pounds. I would be very surprised on your soil type if you would have any problem whatsoever. How do you know the guy's soil? Okay, the mind wobbles. All right, uh, good question. There's a couple of really good ones. And Jason's asked a great one to segue into stubble, So, but I don't want to quite go there yet. Um, but I'm going to promise Jim Hale that we are coming back to that question of overwintering. But Gus has one question here. Is there a seed safety concern when using liquid pop-ups in place or addition to granular fert? So does the, so here we are for ours, the, the form, we can expand that to include liquid versus granular. So does liquid change that profile, that concern profile? And a hundred percent not. A pound of phosphorus is a pound of phosphorus. If you look something like uh, Alpine or in the U United States, it's called Nature's uh, 624.6 or now it's 241S. They're very low salt liquid fertilizers. We're putting them on at, you know, five gallons per acre in the seed row. So five gallons of a 624.6 is 16 pounds of phosphorus, low salt product. It's it's about 55, it's about 11 pounds per gallon. So five gallons is 55 pounds of product per acre. I am not at all worried about that salt. The challenge I think that Gus asks is what about if I add dry to that? Well, now, you know, everything's additive and salt concentration just keeps adding up. And so are you adding that dry in a mid-row band or are you adding that dry in a... a a duck foot that's getting my, me a three inch spread uh, again. Right. Sorry, Lindsay, but there's just some questions that I don't know the answer to, but liquid, liquid fertilizer in general terms is very safe. Be careful. I always got to be careful. They used to use spent acid out of the auto industry as their phosphorus source. That was not so safe, but that isn't done anymore. Just check the salt concentration on the liquid you're using. Most of them are extremely safe. All right, Jim, I promised. Here we go. One of, of course, the key challenges to this crop is the timing of getting it in in the fall and then making sure it survives. So Farmer Jim wants to know, he's in the Palliser Triangle. He, like you, Monica, doesn't know what rain is. And so he's trying to figure out, is hybrid fall rye a better option versus winter wheat in those very dry regions? 
And it, when he says we never seem to get consistent snow cover, y'all, he's kidding. And he's even got shelter belts on the end of every single one of his fields, and there is no snow. So is fall rye, hybrid fall rye in this case, a better choice? Monica? Uh, just, just as a plant, rye is much more of a robust plant than winter wheat. It is just inherently a little bit more tolerant to winter kill. The one caution I would make, however, is ensure you know why you're growing that crop. So if you're growing it for feed, for silage, uh, to deliver to an ethanol plant, rye is a wonderful option. However, if you're selling it into a milling market, you, you know, need to check and make sure that you have a home for your rye. Um, when I look at Stats Canada seeded acreage in Western Canada, rye is really becoming a much more popular crop than it ever, ever has been. Um, we've had some terrible, terrible winds here over the last winter. And any type of ground cover that you can get, uh, yeah, there's the acreage coming up. Um, so any type of uh, soil or field coverage that you can get obviously is going to help with your soil erosion. Uh, so I would say, you know, rye is a, is a great option to be looking at. Hybrid rye, now having said that, is a little bit different than your garden variety open pollinated um, varieties. And so you'll have to consult with the seed company or your seed retailer about, you know, how to seed it and how to, you know, look after that crop because it is a little bit different open pollinated. Okay. Good advice there. Now, so this, this works in quite nicely into Jason's comment. Um, we have a lot of late canola coming off because of late seeding. And when he says late, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you're still about three weeks behind average. So it is quite late in the province of Manitoba. Um, and that is a very common follow-up, right? Is the, the winter wheat goes in on canola stubble. Uh, what might be the next best alternative? So if canola stubble is not available, um, and sometimes, honestly, Monica, I'll tell you, there are many farms I know that have tried to get winter wheat into the rotation, but it just it never worked out in the fall to get it on that canola ground and then they ended up sort of getting cold feet and going somewhere else so what are what other stubble should you sort of prioritize if there isn't canola available okay if you have any pulse crop that has any type of stubbles something like a faba maybe to a lesser extent a soybean uh, lentils usually disintegrate because you're desiccating them. Um, you know, that would be sort of your second choice. We have a lot of growers that will seed winter wheat into a pea stubble. I do caution mm -hmm. with that because obviously, even if you've desiccated, those vines are not deteriorating like they do over a frost-free cycle of the winter months. And they're, they are very, very prone to wrapping around your equipment. And then what we see is we see artificial deep seeding and it's not because you have your drill set wrong mm. it's because those vines are dragging soil around with them and uh, if you 
seed your winter wheat too deep, um, the the yield loss is incredible. And, and in fact, I've seen fields, you know, where you can tell where they stopped and stand establishment is perfect. And then vine build up and, you know, r rinse and repeat, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so that's yeah. just one caution against using a piece double. Okay. But shout out to all you pea growers. The yield after peas can be great because peas love to share their nitrogen. Right, Pete? Yeah, certainly from, from an Ontario standpoint. And, and Kara, I don't know if you want to throw up slide two of mine uh if you can find it and and that really will help maybe with with jason's question about what do you plant into next and so this is manitoba um, crop insurance information they do this every year this is 15 data uh, they do a different one i haven't updated it but the answer is the same almost all the time and so if you want to grow winter wheat and it, you can't do it after canola if you look down that column man if you could do it after flax if you had a chance to do that, you're going to get a much higher yield. Um, we don't get a much higher yield after soybean, which is generally because we can't plant it early enough. Mm -hmm. And we also always get the worst crop after wheat after wheat, right? Like that just growing the same crop after That's... itself always fails. So have a look at that data i think i think that's a really good source and my other comment would be and it's really interesting uh, that we're talking about this and about the fact that that pea stubble is making it artificially deep when brian fowler did all his work on winter wheat survival in the prairies and he wants growers to plant it as shallow as they can when into moisture, you always gotta be in a moisture, but as shallow as you can, because what that does is it emerges faster and it gets more development in the fall. And wheat with four to five leaves, one to two tillers is at its maximum winter hardiness. That's the stage where it will, will harden off the best and stand the cold temperatures the best. And so in answer to Jim's question about the hybrid rye, well, if you could plant the winter wheat and actually get it to have five leaves and two tillers, maybe it would withstand the cold temperatures. But if you can't get there, and it might not anyway, and, and you know, certainly mm -hmm. the, the uh, hybrid rye is hardier. But the one interesting thing about hybrid rye is that hybrid rye doesn't develop its cold tolerance as early as open pollinated rye. And so one of the things about getting that hybrid rye to work is actually to plant it early enough. When we plant hybrid rye late in Ontario, it will winter kill way more than winter wheat planted late. And if we want hybrid rye to overwinter, we actually have to plant it on the early side. With open pollinated rye, man, I can plant it in December and it will overwinter January. It will overwinter. It just it's so cold tolerant, but hybrid rye is just a little bit of a different beast. Okay, so this is a, it's a helpful chart. Jason, uh, let us know how many flax acres you have access to, because I'm going to guess there's not as many as there used to yeah. be. But for, for our friends in Saskatchewan, there might be. Many of those acres have moved that way. And I like that after sunflowers, it does well. But sunflowers are not an early maturing crop. So I cannot imagine that many farmers are going to be running out there after their sunflowers come off. 
but but Lindsay, what a great place to try that interseeding that we talked about. Instead of into canola, soy uh, sunflowers are in wider rows. I could go in between there with three rows of wheat. Ah, Bobby, <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> no, but but then, well, and then it would make a really nice sort of carpet for all the people trespassing to come and take all their pictures in your sunflower field. So really, it serves many purposes. Um, yep. Anyway, yes. So, and Ray also, when we were talking about rye and Monica, you're right, there should be a market. Ray says the market is in his bloodstream um, in that many people love their rye. So well done, Ray, so do I. Um, yes, exactly. And um, so back to just briefly on the phosphorus front, um, as suspected, Canadian cowmen with soil tests of 150 plus ppm phosphorus, we're trying to minimize it and reduce that phosphorus, not add it in. So as suspected, that's a lot. Soil test, soil test, soil test. And when you're excessive, then even, even wheat peat has to say, okay, maybe no phosphorus. It breaks me to do that, but maybe no phosphorus. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jason has two whole fields of flax he could work on. So there you go. There you go, Jason. We, we, we've got your pitch for you. Just go in there and be like, hey, this is this is what the data says. Um, okay, so we're we're running low on time. We've covered many of the things, but not all of them. Um, so of course, I will send a shout out uh, for everyone following along. If you've got any questions, follow up questions, things we didn't get to, uh, both my guests here tonight would be happy to help. There is a very recent wheat school with Monica talking about a strategy for winter wheat success, and she covers uh, in in about five minutes like the key things you need to think about. Lots of that we've talked about tonight. Uh, so check that out at wheatschool.com. Um, and of course, Wheat Pete's word is every Wednesday. It goes live ask your questions of pete if he doesn't know the answer he'll make one up no i'm just kidding he will research it <laughs> and there you go uh, thank you kara uh, i realized in not running my second clip i also have completely screwed up when i send a shout out to the sponsor so there we go out of my canada wheat pete's word and the wheat school for all your crop production needs um there you go in one little package okay so very quickly we haven't really tackled the why of winter wheat. Now here in Ontario, of course, it is the third crop. It is the crop rotation. So Pete, dear and dear to my heart as well, let's let's get that crop in there. But Monica, you are with Dex Unlimited. There is a significant advantage to winter wheat for our landscape. So beyond just you know, spreading out the fall workload and spreading out the spring workload and all those sorts of things, there are a few other environmental advantages to winter wheat. So why, Monica, does Ducks Unlimited support winter wheat programs like they do? Okay, so Ducks Unlimited has supported uh, winter wheat research for the last decade, and I, I don't have the number of dollars invested into work like uh, seed breeding activities, Dr. Rob Grass program, um, as well as Dr. Brian Barris's research that was done. And all of that stems from the fact that fall seeded cereals, be it a winter wheat, rye, triticale, um, are all very, very conducive um, to um, uh, <laughs> 
I just and had now somebody show a, a note through my window <laughs> going, <laughs> oh boy, just let me talk. Oh my goodness. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now this is, this is just not perfect timing. I'm sorry. But uh, through, through the works of uh, uh, Ducks Unlimited, they found that uh, waterfowl nesting on spring grains were already nest per, per acre or per 100 acres, whatever. Um, I should look at my, my data here. Oh, goodness. Um, we're losing you. We're losing you, Monica. But um, winter wheat, they're finding. And she's gone. Okay. So we'll quickly wrap up. I'm sure she'll come back. Poor Monica. She did say, she said yes to this show. And then she had a minor emergency at home. So I'm hoping that everything is okay. Um, and that the person trying to get her attention through the window um, is all good news. Anyway, so we will, I, I will quickly recap what I know. And that, of course, uh, those winter wheat crops are fantastic for some of our ground nesting birds. Um, and so having that uh, crop cover early in the spring is really important. And the animals can, the birds can fledge before the combines come through. So that is really important. And of course, Pete, here in Ontario, uh, we get that great ground cover in the fall, which is super important for erosion, decreasing erosion risk as well. Yeah, but it's not, for us, it's not just erosion risk, right, Lindsay? It's the benefit of the rotation. It's the fact we can grow a cover crop over. Uh, after, rather, we get a 5% a five, 5 yield increase on corn and an 11% yield increase on soybeans. Man, wheat does all good things for the soil. It really, from a soil health perspective, just need to grow it. Monica, thank you for joining us. I did a quick plug for getting those bird's nests in um, as you dropped off um, and getting those birds to fledge. So, so yeah, it, it just cut out right at the wrong time. All right. Uh, but that is the time we have for tonight. Uh, thank you to Peter and to Monica for joining me tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Great questions and comments from the audience as always. Uh, so thank you both so much for joining me tonight. Oh, thanks for having us. It's always a blast with you, Lindsay. Always a blast. All right. And Thank grow you. Great wheat. Right, Pete? Grow yes. great wheat. Yeah, there you go. Okay, head on over to realagriculture.com slash agronomist. Get those CEU credits. Next week, we are going to be talking about winter canola, if you can believe it, uh, here in Ontario. So that should be a very interesting one. So we'll see you back here uh, 8 p.m. Eastern uh, next Monday for the last agronomist of August, if you can believe it. And of course, a special thanks to our show sponsors, Out of My Canada, Wheat Pete's Word, and The Wheat School. All right. See you, everyone. Cheers.